Are you ready for God's Word this morning? Yeah, so we are going to be starting a new series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to invite you now to go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I'm going to read for you verses 1 to 11, and then I make an introduction to the study of this very, very interesting book, okay? Go with me now to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I read for you from verse 1. Mine is the NIV translation. Here it goes. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Why do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never had enough of seeing, nor the ears is few of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It, it was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Father, I pray that this morning you allow your word to become a source of inspiration to us. God, I pray that as we, we join the seeker, we join the searcher, we join this wise man in the pursuit of the meaning of life, that God, you will speak to us week after week and giving us a re-engineering re of the way that we look at life. So we commit this time to you now. We pray for your Holy Spirit to come and speak to us even as I'm speaking to your people. So come, Lord, speak as your servants heareth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, many Christians have a kind of a love-hate relationship with this book. Uh, some of us even have problems pronouncing the book. <laughs> Ecclesiastes, you know. And there's so much in this book that seems to make very good sense. Uh, but there are also many parts of this book that seems to contradict our Christian beliefs. Uh, you read through this book and you'll find statements that seem to have a humanistic slant to it that brings us a little bit of discomfort sometimes as we read it through the lens of a Christian. For example, you will, eat, you, you will start to read statements like, eat, drink, and be merry, for these are the best things in life. That sounds very humanistic, doesn't it? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You know, man is no better than animals, that's what the wise man said. I hated life, he said in another portion. He wished that he was never born. In another, it's another statement that you will find from there. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. You know, when I said this, some of you already want to shout amen. You know? <laughs> meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And ironically, with all these difficult sayings and strange conclusion, both Jews and Christians concluded that this book must be compiled as part of the inspired Word of God. They still think this book should get into the Word of God. And this alone, I think, is reason enough for all of us to study this book. 
And my prayer is that after we go through this book, after we study this book, you will agree with George Werber, who is the founder of Operation Mobilization, or OM, who once made this statement. You go through this book, and this book will go through you. And I think, I, I hope that this book will become a source. Uh, it's like a searchlight that will shine into our hearts and give us a way in which we should view life. So uh, my challenge to all of us, whether you're online or on-site, join me and allow this book to go through your spirit over the next few months. And God will surely transform our hearts and our minds in Jesus' name. And in this first session, what I seek to do is to introduce the book of Ecclesiastes to you and then lay a foundation for the rest of our studies. So I'm going to answer a few very important questions, okay? And those of you who are, whether you're young or old, this book is for you. Okay, I'm going to ask, I'm going to answer a few key questions. Number one is this, who is the author of this book? Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1 introduced the author to us with these words. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, from internal evidence, the author is most likely King Solomon. He seems like the best person to write this book. And even if Solomon is not the author, he would have been the subject of the book. Okay, even if he's not the author, he would have been the subject of the book, a rich, famous, but dissatisfied king. It was a journal, if you like, that the king kept as he sought to understand what life is all about. So when you think about the books that, are, that, that, that has the writings of Solomon, you would think of it this way. I think he wrote Proverbs from the point of view of a wise teacher. Then he wrote Song of Songs to the eyes of a passionate lover. So if you read the Song of Songs, wow, it's really very romantic. Okay, but he wrote Ecclesiastes from the vantage point of a preacher. Okay, the Hebrew word that is described there for the word teacher uh, is the word kohileth, which is translated as preacher or teacher. But this is a title actually given to an official speaker, someone who calls for an assembly. Okay, only a king has that power to do that. Call for an assembly and then speak to them. And this word kohileth is also gives the idea of engaging in a debate. Okay, someone who's engaging in a debate. And in this case, it's not so much him, the, the, the speaker, having a debate with the listeners. It's not so much that, but it is more of ha him having a debate within himself as part of his quest for the answer to life. Are you with me? So he's, he's got people listening, but it's not so much that he's having a debate with them, but rather he's having a debate within himself as he go on this search for the meaning of life. And he's arguing within himself, what is all this about? And that's why I think Eugene Peterson, in his message Bible, calls him a quester, a quester, someone on a quest. Okay, and, and here, perhaps a more nuanced translation would be a searcher. Okay, he's not just a speaker, not just a debater, but he's a searcher, someone who is on a search to answer the question, what is life? Is life really worth living? And throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, I want you to know, asked all the right questions. But unfortunately, I think he gave rather incomplete answers. 
He, gave all, he asked all the right questions, questions that you and I should be asking, but he gave all the incomplete answers, and I'll explain to you why as we go along. Number two, second question we need to answer, what is this book all about? I think this book records the honest observation of Solomon as he studies the issues of life. And we need to understand, by the time Solomon penned these words, he was already an experienced uh, old man. So you've got to read it from this perspective, that now as an elder, as an older person, he's writing to young people. So kinetics, listen to this, okay? He's writing as an old man like me, writing to you as young people and sharing with you the perspective on life. That's what he's doing. Okay, from an older person's point of view, after examining life, he is now telling the younger generation, this is what I've discovered about life. And his wisdom and his insights actually cover every aspect of life, including the meaning of life. He talked about times and seasons. He talked about politics and wealth. He talked about justice. He talked about social issues. He talked about religion, about faith, about relationships, etc. He covered a whole gamut of life giving us his wisdom and perspective. In fact, he was preaching to us, if you like, through the book of Ecclesiastes on the subject of life. That's what this book is all about. Okay, third question. What was his conclusion after going on this search? Now, if you are looking for motivation in life this morning, you have come to the wrong book because Solomon had a rather depressing view of life. You don't have to read too far into this book before you discover this. Because you know why? In the Hebrew style of writing, he actually tells us his conclusion right from the start. And then he tells us why. So he put his conclusion of his whole search at the beginning. And then he tells us why. Now, it is directly opposite to Western styles of writing. Western styles of writing would expect you, you got to read the whole book, right? Read to the end to find out who's the murderer. You got to read to the end to find out so what's happening here to really uncover the plot. Eh? That's Western style of writing. But Jewish style of writing, they tell you what the answer is. And then after that, they explain to you why. So he recorded his conclusion about life in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2 and 3, right from the start of the book. And what was his conclusion? Here's his conclusion Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Oh my goodness. Are you still with me? <laughs> vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Meaningless, meaningless. And you need to know why. Okay? Listen to the word, this word that expresses his pathos. The word he uses, meaningless sometimes translated useless, pointless, vanity, worthless, empty. This word meaningless or vanity appears 35 times in this book. Meaningless, meaningless, 35 times it came up. This is the Hebrew word hevel, H-E-V-E-L, meaning emptiness or futility. It means futile, empty. The idea of meaningless or vanity is so vividly captured by Eugene Peterson when he translated this word, havel, meaningless. He translated it as smoke. It's just vapor. It's just smoke. Uh, okay, let me try and paint a picture for you. Okay, my wife can help me here. Ever seen this? 
Have seen this? We all little kids love this, you know. Right? You get all this bubble, and then you get the kid to go around looking for it, and every time they grab it, what happened? It's gone. That's what happens. Now, that's the picture of this book. It's meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. It's like trying to grab a bubble. And the moment you grab it, boom, it's gone. It's almost like that the sense where you, you get this sense like you have just scored a goal after the game is over. <laughs> then you score a goal. It's futile. It's like walking up. Have you ever tried this? You're walking up an escalator that is going down. Ever tried that? And then you just keep walking, you keep walking, and you never get to the top. Futile. That, that meaninglessness. It's like trying to climb a ladder that's leaning away from you. Leaning, uh, leaning towards you. Leaning away from the wall. That's the feeling you get. Futile. But you've got to bear in mind that these are the words of King Solomon. We all know King Solomon. Now, he's the one who built the temple of God. Now, he's, he was the one who succeeded David, the greatest king of Israel. He was the one who saw the glory of God descend, right? In 1 Kings chapter 8, he saw all these things. So why should he come to this sad conclusion? Now, ladies and gentlemen, if, if you want to understand and, and really grasp the significance of this book, there are two keys that you need to bear in mind in order to interpret this book. And I want to outline immediately these two keys so that you can see where Solomon is coming from. There are two limitations that Solomon set as he studied life. Okay, he set the limitations for uh, two limitations, and here they are. Number one, under the sun. Under the sun, which is an earthly perspective. One of the phrases that keeps coming up in this book is the phrase, under the sun, under the sun. It came up about 29 times. You know, I begin to study life under the sun, under the sun. This implied that Solomon was looking or observing life from an under the sun perspective. In other words, he was looking at life from an earthly human perspective. He was applying, if you like, his own wisdom and experience uh, to the complex human situation from an earthly perspective and trying to understand it, trying to make sense of it. And he found himself ending in despair. That when you look at life from an under-the-sun perspective, an earthly perspective, you can end up in despair. The second limitation he said was this, as long as I live, as long as I live, which means what? Up to the grave, until the grave, as long as I live. And it's a temporal perspective. In other words, he was looking at life from a temporal view with no perspective on eternity. So the concept of the book of Ecclesiastes is a man who is observing life from an under the sun as long as I live perspective. Okay, it is an earthly, under the sun, earthly, temporal, as long as I live perspective. So how many of you agree, if you actually look at life from an under the sun, as long as I live perspective, it's easy to end up concluding that life is meaningless. Am I correct? If you look at life just purely from an earthly perspective, and then you only look at life up to the point of death, how many of you agree, it is actually quite meaningless? In other words, Really, the context of the book of Ecclesiastes is this. A man observing life from under the sun, as long as I live, 
perspective. And that is why you find statements and conclusions in the book that appears very humanistic and earthly. But please remember that Solomon came to this conclusion not because he did not believe in the existence of God. He believed. If not, he wouldn't have built the temple of God. In fact, it was precisely because he believed in God that he could keep on going, even though he had such a depressing view of life. The only problem was that he saw God, listen carefully to this, I think he saw God as one who is above the sun, high and lifted up, but uninvolved and uninterested in the affairs of man under the sun. He was viewing it from that perspective, that here we are, all under the sun, living life until we die. But if we, don't, if we see God as someone above the sun and someone uninvolved in our life, it is very easy to end up concluding that it's really quite meaningless. I see, I, see, I see no end in sight. It's just, I live and then I die. That's it. That's why Lord Tynison, I think this is what he had in mind. He wrote a book, this guy called Lord Tynison, wrote a book called Eastern Deities and his picture of God. You know how when we think about Greek gods, Eastern gods, we often think of gods that are lying on a sofa. That's a picture you get lying on a sofa with all the angels around and then they're all eating grapes. They're lying down and then people are feeding them grapes and that's the kind of picture of a God that is up there in heaven, you know, lying by the river, enjoying himself and then just watching what goes on on earth but uninvolved. And Lord Tennyson in his book, Eastern Deity, actually paints us a picture of gods in heaven and it reads like this. Listen to this. Lying there beside their rivers of sweet waters, totally untouched by the crying of the people on the earth below, while raging fires, burning towns, sinking ships, plagues, famines, pestilence, and even going to the extent of praying hands lifted up, crying out to the cosmos, the gods are lying there beside the rivers of living water, totally untouched by the human predicament. That's the picture they get of their gods. All just up there enjoying eating grapes while the earth is burning. Yeah, if that's the picture you have of God, then really life is quite meaningless. And thankfully, brothers and sisters, this is not the God we serve. How many of you know we serve a God who is touched by our human predicament? We serve a God who is concerned about what you and I are going through. A God who is personally and intimately involved with our lives. We have a God who is concerned about how we react when our car breaks down. We have a God who is concerned that your, sewing, your, your, your washing machine can't spin or when your children catch the flu. You have a God who is a personal God, a God who is intimately involved with you and wants to be involved with you. We don't serve a God sitting by the river eating grapes. We have a God who is concerned. But Solomon was viewing life from these two key perspectives, under the sun, as long as I live. And now we can appreciate how Solomon ended up with this depressing and often hopeless conclusion about life until the end. In fact, if one does not take God in, and eternity into account when we go through life, it is completely logical to conclude that life is meaningless and exercise of futility. John Paul Sartre, uh, the French existentialists put it this way, there is no exit from this meaningless existence. 
And John Falsat doesn't believe in God. And that's why he ended up with this conclusion, there is no exit from this meaningless existence. Now, let me bring you to the last question, and that will set us up for the study going forward. What were the findings of King Solomon? What, was, what did he find? Before Solomon tells us how he come to this depressing conclusion, he first outlined his general observations about life in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 4 to 9. Can I read this for you one more time? Uh, and then you notice how cyclical it is. Notice how it goes in circus, right? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north, and then round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To a place where the streams come from, they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can tell. And the eye never had enough of seeing, nor the ears is few of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Listen, from his under the sun, as long as I live perspective, the wise man observed that life seems to be like an endless cycle. It's like a circle. You know, we go round and round in this treadmill of daily existence. Things just keep going round and round. So you read verse 4 to 9, right? The sunrise, the sunset. Wind blow north, and then it blows south. You know, the streams go to the sea, the sea returns to the stream. Round and round it goes. Even reading it uh, makes you feel like a sense of monotony. Did you? It's almost like you can do what the Chinese scholars do as they read, you know, you can go round and round. Literally, just everything just goes round and round and round. And Solomon describes so vividly the monotonous treadmill of human existence. Life just seems to be going round and round. No fixed destination, no perceivable end. There's no sense of ultimate purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, I think this, if we were to be painfully honest, if we don't know God, we can come to this same conclusion. What do we do with our life? The average person, right? We wake up, brush teeth, eat breakfast, go to work. Come home, take a shower, eat dinner, watch TV, go to bed. Next morning, wake up, brush teeth, go to work. Right? Eat breakfast, go to work. Then come home, take a bath, eat dinner, watch TV, and then we sleep. Next morning, we wake up, what do we do? Yeah, we brush teeth, eat breakfast, go to work, then come home, take a shower, watch TV, eat dinner, go to bed. <laughs> and it goes round and round. You get that feeling? That thing seems to be going round and round. Somebody at some point have to ask the question, so what is life? What's the meaning of all this? What's the purpose of life? Is life worth living? And many times, we actually don't ask these questions. You know why? Because we are so caught up in the race, we never stop to examine. You know, I was talking to this young man once, in a, just having a conversation, so I asked him, you know, he's in uni. So I asked him, why do you study? He said, I want to get a good education. Why do you want to get a good education? So that I can make a good living. Oh, I want to get a good job, he said. Then I said, okay, why do you want to get a good job? So that I can make a good living. Why do you want to live? Huh? <laughs> we go around, and, but we never really ask what's the meaning of it. 
What's the meaning of it all? And I think we need to ask the question. Sometimes we're so caught up, you know, to make a living. We don't really know why we are even alive. Now, if we live with this under the sun, as long as I live perspective, life can become futile. Life can become meaningless. And when we go on this treadmill of monotonous existence, going round and round, heading nowhere, everything seems to be repetitive. Nothing new under the sun. Every invention is either an improvement or perversion of what is already in existence. And then we go round and round. And this pandemic lockdown, all this become even more real. And I'll tell you why. In this pandemic lockdown, when we can no longer travel, you know, for a lot of us, we need to travel. I'm one of those. Wow. Sometimes I feel like I should just take a drive to the airport, you know, <laughs> and then come back. I, I heard the last thing in Singapore Airlines have offered is flight to nowhere. <laughs> that means people just hop on a plane, fly three hours and come back just to eat aircraft food. <laughs> what is this? But why, why do people do that? I'll tell you why. Because there's something very deep in us. There's an inner need, you know, for us to engage in something external. There's a restlessness inside all of us. And when we get this lockdown and everything is shut up and we cannot have that freedom to fly somewhere, you know, go meet people and all that, then you know what happens? Something, we become very restless inside. So restless that, oh, I just need to go somewhere. I just need to go meet somebody. I just got to go and try a new restaurant. I got to go and do something. We just feel this restlessness and then we just want to go out and do something. But I'll tell you what the real issue is. The real issue is not that we are tired from all this. The real issue is that we are restless inside. Where did that restlessness come from? It is rooted ultimately not in the physical condition, not in the fact that we are locked down. I'll tell you where the, the problem is. The real issue, it is rooted in a sense of purposelessness. I think it is rooted ultimately in a sense of inner emptiness. And because we are empty inside, we don't have a clear sense of purpose about our life. That's why we feel restless after a while. We just got to fly somewhere and see something new. And then it gets even more and more needful. After you have seen the Eiffel Tower, now you've got to see something else that is even better than the Eiffel Tower. And so we go from one place to another, we do one thing after another. But ultimately, it is rooted in a sense of emptiness inside. And we've got to come to this understanding. In the end, Solomon could only conclude in Ecclesiastes 1 to meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Can you understand why Solomon came to this despairing conclusion? But praise God, huh? Today, as New Testament Christians, listen to me, brothers and sisters, here's where we turn the table. Today, as New Testament believers, we need not conclude with Solomon in hopelessness. Because as you move through the book of Ecclesiastes, we hear the heart cry of those who are living without Jesus Christ. But the good news is this. If you keep on reading, we will come to another book in the Bible. It's called the book of Colossians. And in this book, we find the answer to the meaning of life. In Colossians 1, verse 15 to 23, there are such beautiful verses. We find an answer that is above the sun and beyond this life. And in this, 
we have our dreams can be fulfilled. In this, we find our satisfaction. Our search can end. The answer is in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is that missing piece in this jigsaw in the Old Testament. I read for you now Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 uh, to 23. Listen to this. This is the writing of the Apostle Paul. Beautiful words. And he's talking about Jesus and he said this. Be inspired with this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him, all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from amongst the dead, so that in everything, He may have the supremacy. Somebody ought to shout an amen. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and then through Him, to reconcile Himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. And once you were alienated from God and were entered enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish, free from accusation, that if you continue in your faith, established and firm, do not move from the hope that is held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, has become a servant." Hallelujah. You know what? Paul informs us that in Christ, we were all created by God and for God. And therefore, our search for meaning must begin in God. It is in Him that we will find our meaning. Not only were we created in Christ, but we are also sustained through Christ. In Him, all things hold together. But unfortunately, men choose to rebel against God through sin and then we lost our moral bearings and we ended up alienated from God as a result. We got alienated. We become a people lost without hope and without God. And we lose our sense of meaning and purpose. But the good news is Jesus came in Ephesians 2 verse 12 and 13. He tells us this, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. How many of you know we were once separated from Christ? Without hope, without, without God, we were excluded from citizenship in Israel. Foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope, without God in this world. But now, hallelujah. Through Christ Jesus, you who were once far away has been brought near by the blood of Christ. Somebody say, Amen. This is the gospel that has taken us from lostness to life. It takes us from alienation to reconciliation with God, from meaninglessness to hope. And today, we can have hope in this gospel. We can have hope in who Jesus is to us. You know, this week is a special week. This week is a National Suicide Prevention Week across the world. Australia too. This week is National Suicide Prevention Week. And in this COVID-19 season, many, many are suffering from mental health issues. How many of you know that? It's escalated to a huge level. The number of suicides is rising all across the world. Many people are seeing, taking their lives as the ultimate door of escape. 
Do you know more than 3,000 Australians end their life each year through suicide? You know how many that is? It's eight people every day. We lose more people to suicide than traffic accidents. Why? It's a sense of hopelessness. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people, they have twice the suicide rates compared to the general population. This is what we're dealing with. Suicide, do you know, is also the leading cause of death amongst young people. That that's about, in 2017, suicide accounted for more than one-third of the deaths of people between 15 to 24. That's 36%. 36% of young people between 15 to 24 in Australia lose their life through suicide. And this morning, I am challenging all of us, choose life instead. Choose life instead. But let it not be a life lived by trusting in ourselves, but let it be a life that is found in Jesus Christ, the giver of life. You ask me what is the most significant thing that has happened to your life? I, I tell you, my answer will be this. After coming to Christ, I have found a new meaning to life a whole new purpose for living. It's too bad, you know, that King Solomon grew up in the days before Jesus Christ. He didn't know that. Solomon believed in God, but he didn't know that the day will come when God himself will come down from heaven and actually bring meaning, purpose, and eternity into the hearts of men. Hallelujah. We are privileged to be living in the days after Christ. So now we know, and we are bearers of this gospel. Ever since I came to Jesus, I tell you what, my life is no longer a circle going round and round. It has become a straight line. This line begins with the day when I know Christ, and it will continue until the day I meet Him face to face. My life is no longer a circle. It is now a straight line. It started the day when I met him and it will end in the day when I see him face to face. And what a difference Jesus has made in my life. And I know what a difference he can make in yours. You know, I like what the hymnist wrote, you know. When he came to Christ, he wrote these beautiful words. He says, heaven above is softer blue, earth below is sweeter green. Something lives in every hill Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with sweeter songs overflow, flowers with newer beauty shine. Since I know, as I now know, I am His and He is mine. The day when you meet Christ, suddenly the birds swing, sing sweeter, the grass sings greener. You know why? Because your eyes are open. Now you see. And with Jesus, life can take on a whole new perspective. G.K. Chesterton, the Catholic theologian, put it this way. Without Christ, life has no beginning. It moves towards no end. Without Christ, it's really a circle. It starts at no beginning. It goes towards no end. You know, but with Christ, it's no longer a circle. It's a straight line. And Solomon says, meaningless, all is meaningless. But with Jesus, we can have divine purpose for living. How many of you, amen that? And what is my purpose today? You know, to, I told you, right, since the day I met Christ, 
My life is no longer a circle. It's become a straight line. It starts on the day I know Him and it will end with the day I see Him face to face. And what is happening in between? What am I doing with this eternal life that I now have with Christ? The best thing I can do. What is this purpose that I have found? I think it's John 17, 3. Listen to these beautiful words that Jesus said. Now, this is life eternal. How many of you know, if you have come to Christ, eternal life has already begun for you? You know that? Today, you are already living the eternal life. You're not waiting for Christ. To, uh, you're not waiting to die, then you start living your eternal life. You're already living it now. But what am I doing with the life that I live now? It's basically this. Now, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you send. You know, now every moment, whatever happens, whether it's good, bad, or ordinary, it has become an opportunity for me. It is an adventure for me to get to know God and to get to know Jesus Christ, His Son. This is what I'm living my life for. Whatever may happen to the ups and downs of life, I am getting to know God. And I will know Him fully when I see Him face to face. And here's the thing. Listen, people. If you know God, in Him, you will find your purpose. And in purpose, we begin to find meaning. You see, you've got to know the Master. Then you can know your mission. And then you can find meaning. You see, people try to find meaning. How? Through mission. And then, but if your mission is divorced from your master, then it is not God's mission for you. It's your mission that you want to fulfill for yourself. It becomes ambition. Are you with me? It's just your ambition. But you know your master. And in your master, he reveals to you your mission. And then when you find your God-given mission, you do it in the God-given way, in God's time, you will cultivate a life of meaning. A meaning that is not rooted in ourselves, a meaning that is rooted in God. But the, where's the starting point? You've got to know Him. Know your master. And then you will know your mission. And when you know your mission, you will find your meaning. My question for all of us this morning is this, is your life a circle or is it a straight line? And you listen to the words of the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast in this, that they have the understanding to know me, to know the Master, for I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in this I delight. If you know your master, you will find your mission. And that's where you find meaning. Let me end with this. There's a young American soldier, I was told, it's a true story. Young American soldier who went to fight the Vietnam War. He was a, he was a non-Christian. So the first few days of the war, they have engagement. And so he went, this young American soldier went into the foxhole, an atheist. He came out the next morning a believer because they said there are no atheists in foxholes. 
You know, when you face death, everything changes. And when he came out, he wrote this candid poem that I like very much. And this is what he wrote. This American soldier wrote this. Lord God, I've never spoken to you, but now I want to say, how do you do? You see, God, they told me that you didn't exist. And like a fool, I believe all this. But last night from the foxhole, I saw your sky. And I figured right then that they told me a lie. Had I taken time to see the things you have made, I'll be the only one calling a spade a spade. I wonder if you would hold my hand. Somehow I know that you will understand. Funny that I had to come to this hellish place before I had time to see your face. I guess there isn't much more to say, but I'm sure glad, God, that I met you today. I guess zero hour will soon be here, but I'm not afraid since I know you are near. The sickness, well, I have to go. I like you, Lord, and I want you to know. But now, it's going to be a horrible fight. Who knows? I may come to your house tonight. Though I wasn't friendly with you before, I wonder, God, if you would stand at your door. Look, I'm crying. I'm shedding tears. I have to say, I have to go now. Goodbye. Then P.S. Strange, now that I met you, I'm not afraid to die. Strange, now that I met you, I'm not afraid to die. Brothers and sisters, that's perspective. I think that's hope. That's life. When you know your master, you will suddenly find your mission. And when you know what your life is meant to be lived for, you will find meaning. I think that's where we must begin our search. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads with me? for just a few moments this morning. Wherever you are, just bow your hearts and bow your heads with me. Whether you're watching online or you're over in city campus, would you do that? Just bow your hearts for a little while. I think the only way, and all of us are on a search for the meaning of life, but I want you to know that we can never find meaning just in mission alone. Because mission that is divorced from the master it's really just our own ambition. But you know, when you know your master, he will tell us what is our mission. And once we know our mission, that's where we find meaning. And if you are here this morning and you still do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your master, as your saviour, the one who came 2,000 years ago, to reconcile you back to God. If you still don't know Him as your personal Lord and Saviour, before I close this morning, in this first segment, I want to just pray a prayer for you. Now, if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer after me and make this your prayer. So would you bow your hearts with me? And if you are not yet a Christian, but this morning you want to know Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me? And you say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. My life is full of sin. But this morning, I thank you that you came and you died on the cross. You shed your blood so that my sins can be forgiven. And I come to you this morning and I turn away from all 
of my sin. And I look to you. And I trust you. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Give me a new beginning. Give me your love, your peace. And help me to live a new life in you. I thank you for the promise in your Bible that if I believe in my heart and I confess in my mouth that Jesus is Lord, then I am safe. I declare this morning that you are my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for saving me. Help me from this day on to know you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to know that Jesus come into your heart and make you a new person. Amen.